This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by Athon Books. Check out the very best in science fiction and fantasy at athonbooks.com. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wine, Jared Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O. Sanders, Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Tim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Sarah Pierce on the show with me today. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Sanatorium, and uh, I'll tell you what, this uh, this book gave me the creeps and in a good, great way, and I, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about when we chat about it here in just a minute. Uh, welcome to the show, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. Um, Sarah, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, gosh, probably. I, I, I think I started wanting to be an author at a very young age, but I didn't actually know what the name was. So I, I found something <laughs> I remember writing in school, and we only found it a few months ago where it said, I want to be a book writer, <laughs> was oh, my description. So I think probably from a very young age, but my earliest memory of, of wanting to be a writer was probably when I was around 10 or 11. Um, and my cousins used to come and stay with my grandparents. And I remember us um, writing a little magazine. Um, and in it was a ghost story where someone um, was decapitated, which is quite strange at the age of uh, 10 or 11, um, a, a headless person in a ghost story. And I just remember being sort of captured by the whole process of writing and creating something that had a beginning, a middle and an end. So, yeah, I think from a really young age, I just knew I wanted to write and that was what I wanted to do. So were you a bookish kid? Did did uh, uh, you, were, were you constantly reading? Oh, I was the biggest book nerd you could imagine. So I was the kid <laughs> who went into the library and would come out with a stack. And I used to have to beg my mum to use her allowance on her card, which was sometimes a little bit frowned on, <laughs> um, to get more books. And we would go weekly. And I just, yeah, I was the nerdy reading kid <laughs> in the corner very much so. Do you remember what the first book or maybe it was an author or a series of books uh, were or was that that just completely opened your mind to the possibility of creating new worlds and new characters and all of that? Yeah, I mean, it's probably an answer people perhaps give often. But for me, it was it was Enid Blyton. Absolutely. Um, her the worlds she created, I think in all of her stories, whether it's her mystery stories or the younger children's stories where you have lambs opening up at the top of the tree in the magic faraway tree. I think she creates this magical sense of there being something bubbling beneath the surface of everyday life. And I remember as a child wishing that I could have the same experiences. So in the famous five and the secret seven stories, there's always some, some crime being committed or something they uncover. And yeah, that sense of adventure she creates. Yeah. That, that for me was a really sort of seminal moment as a, as a young reader, I thought, Oh wow. Yeah. That, that really impacted me. 
I, I love that description, and I, I like to uh, – those were the kind of stories that I loved as well um, and, and still do. The the idea that there's something bubbling beneath the surface, that there's a story behind the story, um, and, and I just love that. Um, when, when you first started thinking about writing, were these the kinds of stories that started bubbling up? Yeah, for me, I, I, I love stories. I like reading all kinds of books. So I don't just I don't stick to one genre. I love historical fiction. I love adventure stories and thrillers. But I think for me, from, from a writing point of view, I like feeling really sort of excited by what I'm writing and feeling the story sort of uh, that propulsion. So I think if you have that adventure uh, within the story, it makes it really exciting to write. So, yeah, that's definitely something I knew I wanted to write. Did I see that you have an interesting uh, connection with uh, with Agatha Christie? Oh, yeah, it's just really a, a geographical one. I mean, it, it's a huge thing here. So um, her childhood home, which has sadly been demolished now, was um, is only sort of five or ten minutes from my home. And her a holiday home is, is not very far away either, probably 20 minutes away. Um, and that's still there and visited by people. And they have the Agatha Christie Festival is held in our hometown where I am now in Torquay. So, yeah, she's left a massive legacy um, for us. And, yeah, it's a huge thing. So she's definitely influenced my writing. We, I grew up on a diet of watching the, the TV series and reading the books. <laughs> Was there a... Um, a- kind of a hometown connection with Agatha Christie did do, do, do locals talk about her and and uh, you know in in these sort of um the, the the hometown that I grew up in was the uh the hometown of of Jimmy Rogers who was the father of of country music and oh, wow. uh, he's American so there's there's this interesting connection to where you kind of feel like that that you you have a connection that other people in the world don't and in some weird way uh, was there was there that that sort of uh, fondness uh, for Agatha Christie in your hometown absolutely because she references place names local place names in her in her work in her books and that I think that is magical for anyone who lives in that hometown so to hear your places you visit mentioned is just amazing so in the ABC murders she mentions Cherston which is a kind of little area within our area and yeah it's just wonderful hearing her describe places I mean some of it's fictionalized but when when we've read about what was your inspiration and she's described oh it was based on when I went to this beach or some we're here and our local our pier because we're based by the sea is where she she roller skated and she swam in a little cove nearby so yeah you do feel that special connection with speaking of agatha christie um you know she she has some of the most um uh some some of the the stories that she wrote have had the the most lasting power of of just about anything that that you can think of in <laughs> in uh, in modern literature. Um, you know, I remember a few years ago when they remade the movie uh, Murder on the Orient Express. I, I remember reading those kids uh, those books when I was a kid, and, mm. and they were old already then. You know, um, yeah. but that they just completely captivated me. And uh, yeah. when they remade that movie, I couldn't wait. To show it to my family and, and, you know, oh, you've got to, you know, and, and it completely held up, you know, it was, uh, it, it was, it was so modern in its uh, sensibilities. Uh, what do you think it is about the types of stories um, that she told and, and kind of a, a genre that she really helped to invent? Um, why do you think that, that those stories have such lasting power? I think it 
genuinely think it's a huge combination of things. So I think you can kind of pick it apart in a number of ways. I think one of the things she did really well um, is is character and not necessarily in the sense that each character is 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 always so well fleshed out but I think she picks on kind of characters and highlights characters that are still we can see in our own lives today so sometimes people describe them as sort of stereotypes you have the kind of old army major or the colonel or various things but I think how she sort of skewers the dynamics either kind of class dynamics or sibling relationships I think is timeless I think it doesn't matter what what era it's set in I think it's super sort of relevant today and I think she also then sort of um, again skewers the the motive so I think when you do eventually find out the motives of the crime and usually every character has a very good one <laughs> um, again they tap into kind of the age-old things kind of be envy jealousy wanting to get someone's inheritance or greed I think that again is timeless um, and yeah I think she picks really exotic settings which are appealing for anyone they're so transporting as a reader um, or even if you're just watching them, kind of if it's in the Nile or, as you say, on the Orient Express, kind of snowbound, it's somewhere that's just really visually exciting. And I, I mean visually, even if you're reading, you are fully transported. You really are in that setting. She does descriptions so, so well. And, yeah, I think also then the locked room aspect is something that just stands up so, so well. You have characters who are put kind of under extreme pressure with no escape. And I think there's a lot of fun to have as a reader. And then I think I did the same in my own book as an author in kind of putting those characters under pressure. There's nowhere to run, is there? Which is hugely exciting. <laughs> well, and and that's exactly why um, I ask about Agatha Christie and, and about what you think about her style of storytelling, because your book, uh, The Sanatorium, has has you know, brought lots of comments, uh, you know, that, that this is definitely a, a nod to Agatha Christie, a tip <laughs> of the hat, if you will. Um, but also I heard it described that, uh, if Agatha Christie and, uh, Stephen King co-wrote a book together, you would get something like this. Um, what do you think about Stephen King? Were you a fan of his work? I have to say, I, I, I'm a fan of him as an author, but I hadn't actually read The Shining, which people keep comparing the book to, which is interesting. So I'm hugely flattered, but I haven't actually read that book. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting. I think it's kind of that aspect of sort of um, tipped with horror. But I think for me, definitely, when I wrote the book, it's aspects of horror. There are it isn't super graphic. I think it's elements of letting your imagination suggest that. I think your imagination filling in the gaps can kind of be more scary than doing something too overt. Right. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. 
They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. Well, um, you know, Agatha Christie didn't have... Um lots of uh of graphic horror I, I think that's um safe to say um yeah. her 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 mysteries tended toward the the cozy mystery side um not not all of them uh, if i'm uh, i'm just thinking of running the the list in my head but um uh what what do you think about this idea of the the closed room mystery especially the locked room uh, but taking that a little further than than Agatha Christie did, and and being more visceral, um, because you the sanatorium is definitely a uh, it 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 will leave you with your nerves raw. Um, in, yeah. in, <laughs> um, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did how did you you know obviously with your your influences and and your loves um which you know informs all of us at at one point or another um how do you carve out what is going to be sarah's niche yeah i i think i someone asked me a question the other day about kind of he, they said you, we feel the book kind of crosses various genres so i think for me it was just really writing a book with all of the aspects that i like to read so yeah there's definitely some kind of creepy almost ghosty aspects at the beginning and then yeah you do have the slightly more sort of graphic elements without going too far so I think for me as you say it's kind of taking it that step further in my imagination um, and really bringing together all of the aspects I like to read so I do like feeling scared I think I wanted to tap into sort of my darkest fears and then that hopefully comes across for the reader I like that unsettled feeling and I think in Agatha Christie's work as you say it's often more of a comforting read um, whereas I don't think I'd describe mine as comforting (laughs) 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 <laughs> I mean, un- unless you um, 
you know, really thrive on that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I, I, I read a, a really amazing book a few years ago, which I don't think came out in the US called Thin Air by Michelle Paver. Um, and it's a sort of historical ghost story and follows an expedition on the Himalayas. Um, and I was genuinely looking over my shoulder at almost every aspect. And there's nothing particularly graphic in it, but it has that really unsettled feeling. And she makes the sort of landscape um, really come alive in its own right. And that's something I've really tried to do in the book. So I think probably for me, my niche is very much using the external environment to sort of mirror what's going on with the character's internal environment. I think if that's one thing I would say, yeah, that I really want to do in my work. Sure. Um, Sarah, you also have written and published um, a number of, of short stories. Um, you know, um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, short stories as as a as a medium, uh, right. almost almost a genre in in some cases. Yeah. Um, but how do you feel about the the contrast between writing a short story and writing the the full length novel like the sanatorium? Do, do you approach those two forms differently? Yeah, very much so. I think I started off writing short fiction, and it is very much kind of a beast into itself. And I think. Yeah you do something very different with a short story. Um, I think for me, with a short story, it's very much about capturing a moment, a kind of scene. It's more of a snapshot in a way, similar to what you would do with a poem. Whereas I think with a novel, um, you're obviously developing character, but there's there's a lot more plot involved, which, yeah, for me was, was hugely challenging making the transition, but also very exciting. I think in a, in a short story, you have to have um, the ability to condense a feeling or emotion and kind of capture it in that way. Whereas I think it's almost easier in some respects in the book to you've got the space to develop that. So I'd say they both have, both have their sort of challenges, but I definitely found the transition quite tricky. Do you consider yourself a, a pantser or a plotter? Um, you know, and these are <laughs> terms we throw around in the writer community, but, you know, writing by the seat of your pants or do you plan out the story? I used to be a pantser and I used to think in my foolish ways <laughs> for how it would work for me. I used to think I always would be. But I think um, with a short story, you're able to do that a little bit more because I think, again, you can capture this one idea and play around with that. Whereas I think with building something over the course of a book, I had to have that structure in place. And I found that really helpful for the second book. But I wouldn't say I'm a full plotter. I, I really admire these authors with all of their post-it notes lined up on the walls, <laughs> um, <laughs> colour-coded order. I definitely don't do that. I kind of have a good idea of where the book's going, what's going to happen in the middle, two-thirds of the way through and the end, um, and then the kind of character arcs. But yeah, I don't have every scene planned out because I think also for me, it would take the sort of pleasure of writing away. I think yeah. if I knew what was happening... Um, in every scene, it wouldn't. I like there being a few surprises for me as the author as well. Right. Um, I, I've I've met several people, and and I'm the same way that uh, that approach short story writing differently from novel writing. In that, yeah. um, I I can hold the entire short story in my head and ah. and don't really need to write anything down mm -hmm. uh, prior. Um, but the novel is is a little different beast. The the pacing is different, and and the the need to to interject information here or there, you know, kind of demands a little more planning. Even though I wouldn't consider myself a hardcore plotter, um, yeah, yeah the, there is a little different. The 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 medium kind of dictates that that you approach it a little differently. 
Yeah, and in a way, you think, oh, I have a, a, a longer piece, so I have more freedom. And you do, in some respects, like I say, to develop those characters. And you don't have to be quite so tight visually, in a way. In a short story, you only have a, a set number of words to get that kind of feeling or emotion across. But yeah, there is almost a constraint in knowing that you have to hit the various plot points. And I, I'm a big believer in I think you do if you want to write a sort of page turning book that I wanted to write. There are certain points you need to hit to keep readers turning the page. Um, I don't think you can be as, as perhaps free form as you can in a short story. So did you did you have those ideas of those points that you needed to hit when you began writing the sanatorium or, um, you know, sometimes you'll get all the way through a first draft mm. and then go, Oh, now I, I kind of see where all the problems are. You know, if I'd, have, if I'd have maybe put a little more thought into this ahead of time, maybe I could have avoided some of that. But, um, did, did you have an idea of the structure of this book before you started? Yeah, I did. I, I did a little bit of kind of research about story structure and, and how things kind of should work, which I think is really helpful when you go about writing a book or even just the first draft. I think you can do a sort of messy first draft and mine definitely was. But I still in within that draft had those kind of sort of po po points throughout the plot that I wanted to hit. And that was really, really helpful because I think the danger is otherwise you can write on and on and then you end up almost overwriting. So you could end up with sort of 250,000 words that you need to sort of splice up and, and, and move around, which I don't think is really very helpful. I think it's quite good to have a draft, which, yes, can be messy. And there are points you want to shift around, red herrings to drop in. But the core sort of bones of it, as it were, are there. And I think that is helpful. So what was the first idea that you had um, about the sanatorium? Do Like, how did I, I'm fascinated by how stories begin. And, you know, one moment you're sitting there and 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 none of this exists. And then something happens. Is it a character that walks on the stage of your mind? Is it is it, the, you know, a, a, a setting? Uh, you know, what is it that provides the spark that that set this on fire? Yeah, for me, it was very much the setting. So the actual sanatorium itself, I read a really great article in a local Swiss magazine about the history of sanatoria within the Alps and that air, that particular town of Kranzmontana. Um, and it set my imagination going. I'd already had an idea of I'd love to write something about the Alps. I lived in Switzerland in my 20s and spent loads of time sort of exploring different resorts. Um, and I thought, oh, gosh, that when the storm comes in, it's hugely atmospheric. So then when I read this article about the sanatoria, I thought, yes, this could be a great idea for a thriller. And the more research I did, I looked at quite a lot of urban exploration videos on YouTube, which I went down a whole rabbit hole. Um, and a few of them were set in sort of abandoned sanatoriums, some in the US, all over. Um, and yeah, I just thought this could be really interesting. And once I had that idea, I then sort of started populating it with my characters. And Ellen came to me quite quickly. So, yeah. So, um. You know, when we talk about Agatha Christie or earlier, um, you know, she liked to use these um, these archetypal characters in a lot of uh, situations. Um, yeah. Did you start when you started thinking about a cast of characters to, to lock in this place? <laughs> um, were you thinking in those sorts of terms like like how did how did the cast come to you? 
Yeah, quite organically, actually. I, I Once I had Ellen, I knew I wanted to give her quite an interesting backstory. And I there's a lot of sort of sister relationships that are explored in, in books. And I wanted to do a brother and sister relationship. Um, so then the character of Isaac came. And then I started thinking about the hotel itself. And it was really in my research. I read uh, some more great articles online about um, local kind of Swiss hotel owners and architects. And yeah, the character then of Lucas, who owns the hotel in the novel, sort of stemmed from that. Um, and yeah, the other characters came from there. It's one of those sort of quite magical processes where you start visualising the characters. And I'm very much mood board things. So I kind of cut kind of characters out of magazines and paste them into my scrapbook. And yeah, it all kind of came from there, really. So uh, how did the the idea of the actual mystery um, mm. come to you? And, and, you know, what did you do when, when you've got a cast of characters yeah. and what do you decide to do to them? Yeah, well, I, I think the idea for this came from my research. So, yeah, some of the research was not only about tuberculosis sanatoriums. It kind of threw up um, what kind of were known as sort of um, if you had problems with your mental health. So there were institutions where women were kind of sort of sent to without so giving too much away about the plot. But, yeah, I learned kind of about a lot of things that went on historically. And so once I had that idea in my mind, I thought about motives for the characters and everything started stitching together from there. So I have to say I was really lucky with the, the research process in itself actually threw up quite a lot of the plot line. Um, we we were talking earlier about um, kind of your your ideas of, of horror and suspense and um, you know uh, taking things one step further than um, than Agatha Christie did. Um, we start talking about the the Stephen King side of suspense and horror. Um, you know his his stories tend to go. Uh, you know, into the fantastical uh, realm. Uh, when you start thinking about the story, did did you sort of set boundaries uh, for yourself that the story would would exist within? Like, I'll allow uh, this type of thing to happen to these characters, but not this. That you know, we won't go this far. Like, or yeah. did you construct sort of boundaries for yourself? Yeah, very much so. I wanted it to be again when we were speaking before about you know when people have mentioned sort of gruesome aspects I think it's interesting I don't think when you read I read back through as the author I don't think there is anything too explicit I really wanted to play with that kind of idea of um, that space inside your own head you you're tapping into your own fears as a reader when you're reading a suggestive scene as opposed to it being there explicitly on the page so yeah I didn't want to go too far into anything in terms of the sort of torture or anything like that and yeah there were definitely people have mentioned about oh I thought there were aspects of the paranormal at the beginning but I think that's very much suggestion and again people's own minds as opposed to anything I've put in and I do I love that idea when something's hinted at rather than explicitly laid back but yeah I didn't want to go into the paranormal or any of those aspects I firmly wanted it sort of rooted in reality though there are some um, fantastical aspects of the plot you might say and in areas <laughs> <laughs> well those uh those plot points where you you sort of hint at things happening that to me can be way scarier than than just explicitly you know doing a play-by-play -play of what happened uh, sort of the the dark recesses of your own mind and playing with those are can be terrifying um uh, 
you know, um, I, I think we we've all read things, or you know, I, I'm I'm recalling a book that I was reading a while back where it was everything was just spelled out on the page, and it it really becomes fatiguing after a while because um, th- there's no mystery in it anymore. You, yeah. It's just shock value. Um, yeah. you, when you're as a lover of mysteries, um, you, you know, when you're writing, did you uh, did you ever come to a place where um, you had to kind of tease out the mystery and was that, uh, you know, some of the, the fun aspect of writing for you was kind of the, the puzzle, putting together a puzzle aspect of it? Absolutely. I think one of the, 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 the most fun things I think about writing a mystery is, is it becomes almost a bit of an academic exercise, which I really like. So it's kind of learning what to give away and when. And I think when we were speaking before about that sort of messy first draft, I think that is something you can go back and play with. So I think that's quite the fun thing. You can put the plot down and then you can go back in and perhaps drop in red herrings, etc. And I think that is the really sort of pleasurable bit to do when you have the hard graft of the actual plot there are always things you could add in and I think some of them very much come organically when you're writing sometimes you think aha this could happen now so yeah it's a really fun it is very much a puzzle as the author when you're writing a mystery and something I really enjoyed when I was writing the next book as well when with a character like Ellen um it or were there times where it was it was hard uh to make her likable uh for the reader or um that's that's not really uh, what I mean to say, do, do you, um, in, in making a character like her that that's so believable, um, do you ever want to to help her, uh, and and then have to come back from that, you know, like, um, yeah, do you know what I mean, like, um, I like giving giving I, her too much help. Yeah, no, I think what you said about the kind of unlikable bit is actually very true. I really wanted someone who was quite realistic. I I wasn't so concerned about her being um, likable to the reader or almost when I was writing. I think people can be very frustrating and I think they can make often make decisions which to someone else objectively might not make sense. And I think that's us being human. And there were times throughout the plot where you might be thinking, don't go there, don't do that. Why are you doing that? But I think that all stems from her character and her past. Um, and yeah, she makes her own decision and finds her own ways. And I don't think she, um, yeah, would necessarily listen to anybody else anyway. So even if I had a voice in her ear as an author, she very much did what she wanted to do throughout the book. Um, you've, you've mentioned a follow-up. Uh, so this book has probably been off your desk for several months and, uh, yeah. you know, while the, the publishing process happens. Um, when, how long did you give yourself before another story started coming out? Yeah, well, I, I, um, I, I, I was on a sort of working to a two, two book um, publishing process. So I more or less um, was writing this one simultaneously while editing the first. So writing the second book. So I have actually finished the draft of the second book. Um, and that's with my editors now. <laughs> wow. Is it connected to the sanatorium in any way? Yeah, it only is not in terms of setting. Fortunately for Ellen, she's been allowed to escape Switzerland <laughs> um, and make her make her way back to the UK. But yeah, it's another quite, without giving away too much, dramatic setting and a bit of a tough case for Ellen. I love it. <laughs> um, 
this people are going to love this book. I, I can't say enough uh, good things about it. Um, we're going to put a link to it in the show notes where uh, where people can get it in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. Um, what do you think about the audiobook process? Uh, and and you know because audiobooks are kind of the the biggest growth market in publishing mm-hmm. right now. Is this something that you think about when you're writing? You know, you know, someone's going to read this out loud, and and a a, a big number of the reading public or that's how they're going to consume this is by someone reading it to them i know it's actually something very fascinating it wasn't something i i hugely sort of thought about but it was only when i i started thinking about sort of narrators and their narrators were kind of spoken about to me and i started thinking oh god it's in a whole new process that i really didn't know lots about and it was actually something um i've been speaking to the narrator a lady called elizabeth nolden who i think has done an amazing job at bringing the book to life um and yeah it's something i'd like to know a lot about actually how that process works but yeah i think it it stems back to what we were saying before about kind of a book being quite visual but also when you hear it I think it's the same thing I think if a book's written in a way where you're sort of fully immersed as the author and kind of can paint that scene I think if you've got a great narrator they bring that to life and make it very visual for people I listen to audiobooks in the car and it, it's exactly the same magical process you get when you're reading yeah the, the place just comes alive in your head Absolutely. Um, Sarah, if people are just learning about you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, is there a place where they can connect with you online? Yeah, I probably the, the main place is Instagram. So I'm on Instagram at Sarah Pierce Author. Gotcha. And you have a, a fantastic website as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my website is www.sarahpierce.co.uk. Great. We'll put links to all those places uh, in the show notes to help people find you. Uh, Sarah, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you for taking time to come on the show. Oh, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. The Bad Company Complete Series Omnibus, books one through seven. Humanity's greatest export, justice. Space is a dangerous place, even for the wary, especially for the unprepared. The aliens have no idea. Here comes the Bad Company. The Bad Company, book one, Colonel Terry Henry Walton takes his warriors into battle for a price in this first installment of The Bad Company. He believes in the moral high ground and is happy to get paid for his role in securing it. Set in the Cutharian Gambit universe, Terry, Char, and their people-humans, werewolves, were-tigers, and vampires form the core of the Bad Company's direct action branch, a private conflict solution enterprise. Join them as they fight their way across Tissakinen 4, where none of the warring parties were what they expected. The seven-book series Omnibus includes The Bad Company, Blockade, Price of Freedom, Liberation, Destroyer, Discovery, Overwhelming Force. Grab the complete Bad Company series by Craig Martell now. 
How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Anderley. Virtutus Gloria Mercies. Translation, Glory is the Reward of Valor. Fed up with playing the normal game, recent university graduate, ex-cum laude, ex-soccer star, ex-popular and mostly broke Cara Madonna changes her life when she decides to research how to be a witch and believes it. Kara didn't want to go back east and deal with her overbearing mom, so when university was done, she stayed behind in Los Angeles. Little did she realize how controlling moms can be from the other side of the country. Feeling a little desperate to make her own way, she buys a few books on business and one on a lark, How to Be a Badass Witch. That's when the trouble started. Find out just what trouble a young woman can get into when the magic just might be real. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Andrews.